What's up, everybody? Welcome to The Stack. I'm Alex. I'm Justin. What's up? I'm Pete. And on The Stack, we talk about a bunch of comics that have come out this week, and we review them. So why don't what? we do that? That's we view insane. them, and then we review them. We view them. And then we review them. View, review, view, review. Let's kick it off with a big one. Ultimate Black Panther, number one from Marvel, written by Brian Edward Hill. Art by Stefano Caselli. This is the second official title in the new Ultimate Universe line after Ultimate Spider-Man. Here, what we're getting is a new Ultimate Black Panther, who is still the leader of Wakanda. There's no crazy changes there. But the big swerve here is that Moon Knight and the forces of Khonshu are attacking Wakanda, and that's a plot that's starting to roll out over the course of this first issue. Pete, you're a big Black Panther fan. What did you think about this reinvention? Oh, man, I thought it was great. Uh, Really love the art. Just uh, really impressive. Uh, Cool story. Great action. Uh, Love the Killmonger stuff. Uh, I'm very interested to see what's to come here with this kind of like you know, Moon Knight thing at the end. So, uh, yeah, I think that's a fun versus. So, yeah, I'm excited about it. I think they did a great job of setting up this world, showing us kind of a little bit of what it's about, and then kind of getting excited for what's to come. A fantastic first issue. Are we getting a full Killmonger hero situation here? Yeah, so... Too early to tell. Well, I, I guess mean, this is spoilers, a except for the fact that they put it in solicits and they sent out a press release and everything, so I feel comfortable talking about it. But it yeah, is, if early. you couldn't pick it up for the first issue, it's Killmonger and Storm as a couple, and they are revolutionaries and freedom fighters in Wakanda. So yeah, at least for right now, they are heroes in this world. I will say that's a little more of what I wanted from this issue. Like agree, I liked, agree. I liked Swerve's like I thought the Okoye uh, T'Challa relationship. The fact that they are yeah. king and queen equals it seems like it's some sort of arranged marriage type situation. That was interesting to me. Yeah. The tease of whatever's going on with Killmonger and Storm, we only really get to see her in the background. Interesting. A lot of the other stuff felt to me like almost any other Black Panther comic book. And mind you, a good Black Panther comic book. I think there's good Wakanda stuff in here. But what I want is a big swing out of the Ultimate Universe that feels vastly different from anything that I've seen. That's not what we got here, even though it is a good solid book. And as Pete said, Stefano Caselli's art, of course, is impeccable every time out. Agree. Great art. Uh, the Ultimate Universe is a little bit of a question mark now. Like, I think it is it is different, but it doesn't feel like statement books in, in a lot of ways. I think the Spider-Man book has felt like a statement book. It's such a weird take, but we, it's a little bit muddled what the take is. It just feels like Peter Parker's becoming Spider-Man much later in his life when things have been different. And this, it feels like very much not an alternate universe. It feels like a right next. This could happen in the 616 universe. So curious how maybe we're going to explore the different uh, different worlds here. But really liked the book. Really liked the art. Um, looking forward to seeing what happens and, and pushing the, the swerve. And honestly, I'm continuing to be excited for the one that I was most excited for to begin with, which is Ultimate X-Men by Peach Momoko, because that seems yeah. like... 
That's the big swig. That's like well, that's going to be like in a whole other universe. <laughs> All of Peach Momoko's book are even the ones that are in like six one six six one six continuity are just like wild visual takes, yeah, dream dreamlike stories. Like amazing, can't wait. All right, why don't we continue with our cat block that we always like to kick off the show with? Cook, with cook, cook, cat block, puff that fluff because we got the cat block. Meow. <laughs> <laughs> Thundercats number one from Dynamite, written by Declan Shalvey, art by Drew Moss. This is a blockbuster comic book that sold, I believe, 170,000 copies, which is Woo! enormous by today's standards. This is a not total reinvention of Thundercats, but is bringing them back to their beginnings. They've just Thunder. arrived on Earth Thunder. 3. I'm not 100%. Yes, I think that's right, Alex. Oh, there we go. I did watch Earth 2 back in the day, so I assume this is a sequel to that. It's and right next door. we're getting right some teases of Mumbra and all the classic characters you know and love. Pete, again, I want to go to you because I assume you are our Thundercats fan on the podcast. Might be wrong here, but take it away. Oh, no. I um, I love Thundercats as a kid, and then when I tried to go back and watch it, I was like, what the fuck was wrong with me? Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, we were borderline. It's like we just got hit with a sledgehammer if we yeah. thought that was entertaining because there was barely anything happening. It was my favorite point. show, and I was like, man, this is awful. Um, but... Uh, <laughs> I So we have like a little different take on the Thundercats. It's almost like an ultimate Thundercats where we have a little bit of a different take than the than the cartoon back in the day, which is cool. Um, here we have, uh, you know, in the transport to uh, Thundera, where, where, well, to this planet from Thundera, we have uh, Lionel kind of got aged up. His, there was a problem with his pod, and uh, now he's older than he should be. He should be a cub. Um, so yeah. interesting. Now, Pete, as a 12-year-old who's in an adult man's body, how do you right. feel? Do you feel seen feel by very this? Seen. Very seen. By a Lionel. Yeah. But I, what I don't like, because the cartoon did this all the time, it was short-changing Panthro, clearly the greatest character oh, yeah. on no, Thunder. You love Panthro. Panthro is so, like, definitely, like, very much Donatello does machines. But also in this, he is very He's aggressive the older, mentor, wiser mentor. He's going to train Chris Christopherson in Blade situation. There we go. <laughs> but I don't like uh, you know, don't underserve Panthro, man, and don't make a, a dick. You want to talk was, about underserved? Was Snarf even in this comic? I don't oh think so. God. I'm so Snarf. sorry. Snarf has been cut. He's on the cover. Nobody's what like, I want you? Snarf. The people want Snarf. Hashtag, no, they don't we want Snarf. Get it trending, folks. No. Wait, I, honestly, I there is an animal here who's a snarf adjacent, like the rabbit they're trying to eat. <laughs> yeah. But there's no snarf, my guy. Yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine? There are two types of – there are two genders, snarfs and panthros, and you two <laughs> are very much on the far side. Wait, what did you think about other. this, Justin? Uh, I mean – I, similar to Pete, I was like, this cartoon in general, again, watched it, loved it. Wanted, back then, it, you know, you didn't have access to it. So it was just like, when is it on? I'll be there. <laughs> and then you, looking back, this is, whoever wrote this, it was like they took, they were just trying to sell toys so hard. They just did Transformers, but with furry versions of them and put very little. The fact that the twins are named Wiley Cat and Wiley Kit, I'm like, 
You different. You did the names wrong. It should have been different words for Wiley <laughs> with cat at the end. Can I just interrupt for a second? I am not familiar with Thundercats. That is not a show I watched because I spent a lot of not a lot of time. But I was like, this show looks stupid. I don't want to waste my time watching it. Um, Fuck and you. Whatever I did happen to do, I was like, this is nonsense and I hate it. So I didn't watch the show at all. When I got to that page and they named those two characters, I'm like, that has to be a mistake. <laughs> Hundred percent. It feels like a typo, but and yeah. that's real. That's how nonsense it is. Uh, and I, it, it just all of it, like where his name is Lion O. It's like what? <laughs> take a second and have a name. Can I throw it's, out there the animal? The it's second, like if we called Pete Humano. If we called him Humano. <laughs> <laughs> I really like what Declan Chalvey has been doing in terms of writing over his past couple of books. I think he's really um, delineated himself as a writer separate from an artist. He's doing a really good job there. Per what we're talking about, Thundercats is insane nonsense. The fact that he made this a coherent comic book over the course of the issue is a triumph in and of itself. I think Drew Moss's art is very good for what you want here. I frankly don't think it matches the heights of the Energon universe, which we've been talking a lot about, oh. like the Transformers and the G.I. Joe books stand on their own as books. This is like, I think, Pete, you described it very well as Ultimate Thundercats. To me, as a non-Thundercats fan, I was like, I'm still kind of not interested in this thing. But again, I think the team is good. They're doing a good job. If you like Thundercats, still beyond all reason, I think you are going to like this comic book. I don't know if it's going to appeal to non-fans necessarily, um, but what do you guys think? Well, let me just say the the things that are dope about Thundercats, and they are translated very well to the book by the team here, by Declan and Drew, like the uh, Sword of Omens, and the fact that he goes thunder, 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 and the sword grows. The sword becomes like erect and very, Whoa. it's very intense. Uh, that's great. And the part of Thundercats that I always loved the most was Mumro was legit scary. Yeah. Mumro was a mummy, yeah. which is not a necessarily a scary thing. The lamest a of the monsters. Monster, Why a mummy? The way, I'm sorry. Is I agree. It's weird. With- is it because but, mummies are buried with cats? Was that the idea there? Like, is that how they got there? Alex, Thundercats don't is conceived a over lines. a three martini lunch where they <laughs> yeah, had to be out. Don't try to draw straight lines to make sense yeah. with Thundercats. No way, dude. But someone got their hands on Mumra and made a great villain that yeah. I think actually was the difference maker in the cartoon series initially. And and it feels like Declan is sort of slow playing it in a way where we're going to really get there to it being something dope. And uh, I'm excited by that. So, the, like, we're making fun of it, or I'm making fun of it anyway. But Thundercats is cool. This book is in a lot of people's hands, and I think it's a good book to be in people's hands. All right. I'm sick and tired of talking about cats. Let's move on to the podcast and instead <laughs> talk about bats. Batman number 142 from DC. An animal I can cat. be comfortable cat with. Bat. An animal <laughs> I can pet. Batman 142 from DC Comics, written by Chip Zdarsky, art by Giuseppe Camicoli and Andrea Sorrentino. This is the first of three parts of a Joker year one storyline 
case you're wondering why this is going on, in the previous issue, Batman Lost was beaten by Batman of Zur and R, his evil opposite, and locked in a prison next to Joker. And Joker decided, hey, this is a great time to tell you my origin story, essentially. And while this isn't strictly an origin story, you're not getting to find out the identity of the Joker, you are getting to see him build up to be the clown prince of crime that we all know and love today. We're also getting to see a jump forward to the future of the title, courtesy of Andrea Sorrentino, where terrible things, as usual, are happening to Gotham. Pete, you raise your hand. What's up? Uh, classic, raise your hand too early and you an- answered the question. You know what I mean? I was wondering... What's going on with the two stories? But mm. you, so thank you. For yes. That. Yeah. So yeah, Giuseppe Camicoli, who I believe recently drew the Joker, the Man Who Laughs storyline yeah. with Matthew Rosenberg, if I remember correctly, yeah, uh, yeah, is right. doing that again here for this, showing the Joker origin story portions, and then Andrea Sorrentino is drawing stuff that takes place at an indeterminate point to the future, past the quote-unquote, current storyline in Batman. So not confusing at all. Well, I will say it is a bit confusing. There's very – it's very much like here – Here's I, I got to say, happening. I think Pete also found it confusing, just, yes. just to clarify. Shouts. Uh, to, to speak to the sarcasm. But I, I like that it's just laid out. Barbara Gordon as the, the new Commissioner Gordon in those uh, future stories, future little flashes we get. Very interesting. Curious in the Barbara Gordon Joker relationship that I feel like we're going to hit on with those is very cool. Uh, this is this is great. I I like this a lot. I wonder. The only part that gave me a little pause is we're we're still in the world of three Jokers. Mm-hmm. That's just the continuity now, and that to me is just it's tricky. It's always going to be a little tricky when there are three. Three Jokers. I also wanted to shout out, um, we have a little bit of Gordon and um, some cop stuff, young Commissioner Gordon, and we get a Detective Gabris. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, which well. I noticed spelled differently than uh, shouts to a friend of the show, uh, one of my best friends, John Gabris. But I do think it's a, I think it's a name pull from him, even though it's spelled Really? Why do you think that? I do. Because where Gabrus is a very strange, that's not a popular name. It's still a name, though. It's not like they were like, oh, man, have you heard of this funny guy, Gabrus? I will put him in this comic book. Yeah. Well, but Let, Chips let's say it is. certainly a we're comedy gonna go to person. For it. Uh, cast Gabrus in the Batman Part 2. Yeah, let's get cast Gabrus. I, I love this issue. I think Chip Zdarsky has been slowly and meticulously building everything that is going on as a Batman run. I'm very interested about where this comes in the run, given that Batman is essentially at his lowest point right now, locked in prison, having finally lost for pretty much the first time in his career. Uh, it To your point about the three Jokers, I wonder how that meshes with everything else that Zdarsky is setting up. Like, how does that gel with Felstay stuff, Zuran R stuff, Vandal Savage stuff that's bubbling in the background? It feels I, separate. I think he has a plan, though. Like, I don't mm. think he would bring it in unless it was weaving together into something. I don't think we know what it is, but this feels very purposeful in terms of jumping back and jumping forward and working the Joker in here. I don't know. I'm really curious to see where it goes, but mostly just like, 
Giuseppe Cabacoli maybe has made himself into being the commensurate Joker artist at this point between these two yeah. books. And Andrea Sorrentino's art is always stunning. Yeah, I mean, the I cover shout- is also really cool. Agreed. I want to shout out the um, Batman design in this with the sort of lines all up and down oh, yeah. his costume, which Batman. I guess are... Yeah, I that's dope. I, I love that. I would like to see more of that. The, the, the thing about the three Jokers is like... What, uh, there isn't differentiation. There isn't much differentiation between them so far. So I'm like, what's the point of this when it feels like we're just triplicating something without that feels like a continuity thing as opposed to a storytelling choice? So I look forward to whether it's Chip or someone else reconciling that for a great purpose. And Alex, you seem to think that Chip's got, got it on lock. Chip's got it on lock. I love, uh, you can't just eat one when it comes to Yeah, you got to trust the chip. Trust the chip. Exactly. Get the chip in my brain. Insert the chip. Don't Uh, do it. Neuralink. We're going to Neuralink with this next title. Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, The Return, number one from Boom Studios, written by Amy Jo Johnson, the Pink Ranger Ranger. Yeah. And Matt Hudson, who is the son of a very hot man. Art by Nico Leon. This takes place in the future of the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, where they've given up being Power Rangers. Several of them are dead. Some of them may be evil. And the Pink Ranger just does not want to pop her power coin. But is she going to pop her power coin? I guess we'll see. Wow. Are you saying this is old woman pink ranger? 100%, but that's okay. I am a total sucker for this type of story. I could care less about Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, but as we've talked about incessantly with Boom Studios, they go above and beyond with these titles time and again. And this is something like the idea of she's like, I'll never be a ranger again. And then by the end of the issue, spoiler here, somebody comes up to her and is like, I need you to be a ranger again. She's like, God damn it. Yeah, love it. Maybe. I love that story trope. I'm I'm there for it. Well, I got to say though, like this, I really enjoyed this. I yeah. feel like they took a lot of great care. Yeah. This feels like they. I mean, Amy Jo Johnson was a Power Ranger, but famously, sort of like the character in the comic, has dispensed with it for a long time in her life, her real life, and it's coming back to it to make this comic. And this comic is good. The art's fantastic. I'm caught up in the story. I really like all of the characters. And the way it spins out so far, this is this is a win. Yeah, I agree. This is a lot of fun. I love the ending. It, get, it gets you really pumped for what's coming next. I think he does a great job with that. Um, yeah, I was surprised how interested I was in this. But, uh, yeah, also really solid art. This is fun. Plot-wise, it's actually more like Buffy the Last Vampire Slayer, I would great say, call. than great call. Old Man Logan. Yeah. I agree. I can't believe I like this, but I really like this quite a bit. Moving on to Star Wars, Mace Windu, number one for Marvel, written by Mark Bernardin, art by George Gianti. This is not Mace Windu surviving the events of Episode 3. It's taking back in time, I believe, before the Clone Wars, even, for his own solo adventure. And, yeah, I, I don't know. I... I think Mark Bernardin, and I don't know how he did this, completely captured the voice of Mace Windu in here, mm. which is like, frankly, such a specific off-brand Samuel L. Jackson character where it's not like Samuel L. Jackson. It's Samuel L. Jackson being like, I'm a stiff dude with no emotions. 
But yeah, crush that dialogue there. George Gianti knows how to draw his way around this stuff. So this, if you're a fan of Mace Windu, if you're curious for more adventures, I think they did a good job with this book. Well, yeah. How do you say human-o? I think it's also just a good Star Wars book. I think badass last panel. I mean, I was pumped when this thing ended. I thought that it was did such a great job of uh, of kind of getting you excited for more. And uh, yeah, I just think this was really fun. Uh, loved all the little to- touch points in here. We get a little Yoda action. You know, th- this is just uh, uh, some good st- Star Wars fun here and uh, quality art. Mace Windu, in a world of Jedis who no, no, have... it's pronounced in a world. Oh, great. Thank you for the note. In a world <laughs> where the Jedis are almost without personality uh, by, like, I guess on purpose for some reason. I feel like Mace Windu is one where we just want personality and specificity. I hope we get to that. This first issue doesn't do a ton of that. It's mostly action. And like, I agree with you, Alex, capturing the voice, but a voice that I was like, surely there's some more cool stuff about this character (laughs) that we could get to in the movies, but we don't. Mm -hmm. So like, I I hope we actually take the time to, to explore the character rather than just like general stoic badass uh, that we've seen a bunch of times. I got to say, I found it strange that the Mace Windu commandeers a sort of fishing boat uh, at one point. And the name of the guy is Re Gump. I was like, is this a Forrest Gump reference? One hundred percent. I was like, Re Gump, like a new Gump. This is wild. Similarly, this isn't specifically about this book, but I want to throw it out to you guys. Do you think there's anything to the fact that Mace Windu died by falling out of a window? <laughs> yes. Everyone's name is their death. That's oh, how no. he's going to get killed by a book. I, Pete LePage. Han Solo died alone. Oh, oh man. Dude, we are. This is horrible. Alone. Alex Zalbin. Hard to parse with that. I'm with just that never going to die. I'm never going to die. Oh, nice. You're going to die by tying one on. Tyler. That could happen tonight. That could happen tonight. (laughs) Birds of Prey, number six from DC Comics, written by Kelly Thompson, art by Leonardo Romero. This is the end of the first arc. As we follow the Birds of Prey have been fighting on Themyscira to try to free Sin from this demonic otherworldly entity that has taken her over and is trying to destroy the world. They hit a bit of a detente here that also kicks us into the next art of the title, arc of the title, Not only is this great, not only does Kelly Thompson have a masterful hold on team dynamics, but Mm. man, nothing against the previous artist, but it is so Ah. good to have Leonardo Romero back of this title. That art is next level. It's next level. And it's, it's iconic. It's, uh, it's part and parcel to this book. Like Mm. we need this Leonardo Romero art on it. Like the, the gap made us feel it even harder. And again, no knock against the previous artists, but this book's persona is wrapped up in this Kelly Leonardo combination. And I want to shout out specifically, I loved the choice. There's so many books where a character is possessed by something where, but we never, we're always seeing it from the exterior. And in this, we get in the interior of sin being possessed. (laughs) 
and I loved that. It was just Mm -hmm. both visually and from a storytelling perspective, we get inside that. And then the resolution, which I won't spoil, is just really smart and something that we haven't seen a ton. I love where it puts us. And I love that at the end of this book, Black Canary is like, all right, let's do this all over again. <laughs> like it's very much like, well, I guess we're going to have to bring another ring to Mordor. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, uh first off amazing cover. Really just made me excited to read this story <laughs> and cover girl uh, over here. You know, sometimes uh you do get uh, a great cover that really does deliver and I think this is a great example of it. Uh, love the old school vibe of the coloring that the, in the uh, in the panels here. Just artistically really impressive. Love the action, the story. I, I'm very invested. I can't wait to see what happens. More, please. This team is amazing. And the cover you like is the sweater weather cover where everyone's in a hot tub in their bathing suits for some reason. Right? No, I love the action cover where it's like all the faces and everything. It's great. the like action these. of their bathing suits. I like suits. the sweater weather cover. <laughs> so so quietly said, Alex. Yeah, I just I, I they seem very oh, was that you, pervert in the corner? What did you want to say? <laughs> uh, me? Yes, I like sweater. <laughs> yes, uh, I'm. What anyway, are comics? I like this sweater. I cannot wait to read more of this. Great stuff. Gone number two from Distillery by Jock. Similar to Somna, we missed the first issue of this, but we're picking up here. Distillery is a new publisher that is doing uh, boutique comic books, I guess you can call mm. it. And this title by Jock, as far as I can tell from reading the second issue, is about a young woman who is on basically a planet-sized ship trying to get home while they're pursued by another ship that essentially has, I mean, it's not exactly zombies, but essentially zombies on it. I loved the tone of this. Jock, as always, is fantastic in art, but this really feels like the sort of thing, and I know this is not like the be-all, end-all, but this is also the sort of thing that, like, is an heir to Battlestar Galactica that I'm like, mm. you can put this right on TV, have multiple episodes at least of a first season, and I would 100% eat every single episode up. Well, the command of the the sci-fi world that is established here with uh, there's a social strata associated with the time differential that is happening here. There's a little bit of like uh, the Planet of the Apes book logic. If anyone's ever read the original Planet of the Apes book, it's a lot about time differentiation. And this book seems to absorb a lot of that and bring it bring it to bear here. I, and if you're a fan of like Alien, I feel like this mm-hmm. is a nice adjacent sci-fi world to really enjoy. Uh, enjoy it right alongside that. I I agree with you guys that it has this kind of like epic tone to it, and I really think artistically, I mean, the space panels are just uh, unbelievable. I want to kind of like hang these up on my wall with as a poster. Just really cool. I think Jock is does such an amazing job of using his panel panels to like tell story, like because they're tilted in certain ways, and like the action flows really nicely. It's just really, uh, I'm in such great hands when I'm reading something uh, by Jock. So I just felt very well taken care of, and it seems like 
from the pace and from the kind of storytelling, it seems like something that this person has like a lot of passion about or is uh, has a very specific vision for because it's just, yeah, I feel like uh, as Zelvatron was saying, like I would uh, go deep on a, on a, a binge of uh, all these episodes. You love those jock hands. Uh, let yeah. me also say that uh, it reminded me of the Apple television show Silo. If you're, mm-hmm. if anyone's watched mm-hmm. that, and you want a yeah. comic book extension of that, this is very much that. Yeah, both of these. Just to wrap it up and get it back to comic books a little bit, I have been very impressed by these issues we've read from Distillery. I think they clearly are going art first here, but at the same time, both Soda and Gone have such specific pitches for stories that they can draw you in. Um, uh, that's great. I We have new publishers come out all the time and to have people that are like, oh, these are clear concepts. These are top tier artists doing things that look phenomenal that I would love to have a collected edition of on my shelf so I could just flip through every once in a while. That's great. You get that very rarely. And I feel like they're really paying off on the promise of what they said the publisher is going to be. That's awesome. Next up, going back in time, Wolverine Madripoor Knights, number one from Woo-hoo! Marvel, written by Chris Claremont, art by Edgar Salazar. This is set after the classic issue of Uncanny X-Men, where Wolverine teamed up with Captain America and Black Widow. We're getting a little ah, in here, a little Betsy Braddock, some hand some other stuff going on as once again, this trio has to team up to fight a new enemy in Madripoor per the title. Great. This pushes all of my buttons. So I'm good. Yeah, I mean, Alex loved, is all pushed. All of his mean, little buttons. Zalvin loved Baywatch. He also loved Baywatch nights. So I feel like this <laughs> is right up Great. your alley here. We got uh, honestly, I don't want to spend too much time on this. Baywatch Nights better, I think. <laughs> wow. wow. There's a statement I, I haven't heard said out loud in a while. I think that's the first time anyone's ever said that. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I only watched Baywatch Nights. What is Baywatch? <laughs> so it's, it's set during so the I day. I only watched Baywatch That seems Nights. impossible. So well, they saw well, those lifeguards feel those lifeguards are cops who are investigating paranormal things. They do lifeguarding too. <laughs> that seems weird. All right, what do they do? What do they do on the beach? What if it is possible there? Is um, it, there's, surely there's paranormal things happening. There's not. They're just occasionally guys, rescuing a person. <laughs> guys, come on. This is Knights of the K. We got to get back on track here. All right. This is a really fantastic <laughs> issue. Uh, you, I mean, you got an amazing team on this. It felt old school. It had such cool art. Uh, I, I, you know, even had the kind of like uh, Wolverine explaining who the hand is. So, like, I uh, this was great. Yeah. This was really just a fun, felt like can, classic can, kind of Claremont in, in a great way. Uh, I, I enjoyed this. Can I say, though, uh, conversely, you know, in a certain way, this issue was total garbage because Psylocke at no point said, uh, my psychic knife, the subtotal of all of my psychic Yeah. Well, let me say totality. it didn't work. And I will say it felt like a purposeful, like, <laughs> jab balls moment to just be like, oh, the one thing that doesn't work is her psychic knife. 
Of all the callbacks we're doing here, it's not that okay. Uh, but I mean, this is like nostalgia to the T. Like it is all nostalgia, taking us yeah. back to a landmark issue and extending it. And honestly, the thing that was most exciting to me, and this is maybe sad to say, thought balloons. Oh yeah, get, wow. I loved the thought balloons, and it reminded me like so much of comics when I first started reading for years was everyone was thinking stuff and not saying stuff <laughs> Everyone was and in this book stuff. and now we just don't do that like is that where your i want to know internally what people are thinking yep. comes from because you yeah, want to see your thought balloons yeah but i love thought balloons all the time there is an intimacy that we get from all the characters here where we get to hear captain america be like wolverine's a little out of control <laughs> and silent being like i really wish i could affect these hand soldiers and said i can't like i really and wolverine being like hey man i'm crazy i just killed everybody like i that is enriching to the story and it's something we don't get in so much storytelling now and i do miss it so this book hit a sweet spot for me yeah it hit Guys, my buttons. a couple at, oh go ahead Pete. psylocke was like just took a moment was like oh this isn't working and then she just picked up swords guys it wasn't like a huge <laughs> issue you know what i mean uh, she's uh, like i'll true. just go yeah. with regular swords it's, she's good fine. at Knife, psychic knives and also knives. Yeah. So a couple know. of things that I liked on a throwback front about this book. One, Jubilee being a place where she's like, oh, wow, I'm kind of re- young. Why don't you trust me? I know what I'm doing versus like I'm a vampire with a baby, which is yes. just too much for Jubilee. Very different continuities. I yes. also like the the explainer is like, oh, Jubilee, she's a mall rat. I was like, I'm sorry. That word doesn't <laughs> exist anymore. <laughs> You are so yeah. The, the ball rat line was. I was, I was like, like, "Get out of here, guys! Yeah. You're showing your also, uh, AARP card." I, <laughs> and this is something like I don't know. Maybe he's not specifically to blame, but I will always blame Mark Millar for ruining Wolverine because he did that thing where I think it was a Sentinel stomped on him, and he was like, "I'm fine." <laughs> And he just and then he blew him up, and he was like, "It's cool. I'm a skeleton. I could grow back from that." Having Wolverine in a place where he's like, ah, oh, God, I can't stop bleeding from my claws. So much more satisfying to read yeah. as a character. Just like yeah. him having limitations and being like, I have a healing factor, but it doesn't work properly. Great. So Agreed. I enjoyed this so much more than I thought I would. It's definitely a nostalgia play, like a lot of these books are, but... If you are nostalgic for that era, I think it would work for you. So there you go. I didn't even realize it was, but I am. Do you think Mallrats was like, like he wrote this script way back in the day and just didn't update it? And then finally they're like, hey, you got any Wolverine scripts lying around? He's like, oh, yeah, this one. I mean, I think the malls still exist, but there's (laughs) no such thing as young people being like, I'm going to the mall to be a mall rat. I will say, my 14-year-old does hang out with her friends sometimes at Sephora at the mall, but... She's the mall rat, dude. What mall? The Atlantic Pacific Mall, which is barely a mall. Wow, that is a train station with some stories. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so sorry. Shots fired. Don't tell her I said that. Don't tell her. No, it's okay. I don't think she considers herself a mall rat. DC's How to Lose a Guy Gardener in 10 Days, number one from DC Comics, written by Kenny Porter, Aaron J. Waltke, Danny Lore, Marguerite Savage, Alex Galler, Dennis Hopeless, Brendan Hay, and George Mann. Art by Nick Robles, 
Ivan Sharvin, Brant and Rostein, Marguerite Savage, Derek Charm, Baltimore Rivas, M.L. Senapo, and Leonardo Rodriguez. First of all, whoever is coming up with the title of these things between DC's How to Lose a Guy Gardner in 10 Days and Gnort's Illustrated Swimsuit Special, give them a raise. Please. That's good shit. I agree. Yeah, and honestly, this, this as a collection of stories, I really enjoyed this. Oh from the this is, I mean, we've been like shockingly complimentary about TC's anthologies for months, if not years now. Yeah, this is great. It's really good. This is like legit, romantic, and fun. The perfect Valentine's Day special. The art is great. The writing is great. There is not a bad story in the bunch. I had so much fun reading this. I I just want to shout out. I loved the John Constantine story. I thought it was yeah. great. Oh and my one god! The, Young just, John Constantine trying yeah. to bond with his friend to trick women into kissing him, and then he discovers his real sexuality. Fantastic. What so a great good. story. That was maybe my fave, but I love the Red Tornado story as well. I loved our lead Guy Gardner story. I thought the art was fantastic throughout. Uh, the Nightwing story, really emphasizing his ass. A lot of yes. Nightwing's ass is almost his superpower uh, at this point. <laughs> from a storytelling perspective. What he thought ass. of the Flash story, because I felt like, first of all, I thought it was super fun. He's out of date. Uh, with it, it's Iris, right? Iris, like, yeah, yeah. Uh, Iris, and he keeps using the cosmic treadmill to go back in time to make it the perfect date. I know you hate the cosmic treadmill, but I thought this was almost the perfect story for Marguerite Savage making fun uh, of the cosmic treadmill. So I'm Ron curious, Cons- Pete, what you thought about this one? Yeah, it put me in a real weird position because I love a good rom com, but I hate a cosmic treadmill. So it was like you know. It was really, it was really tough. A man uh, between two worlds. Yeah, yeah. It, it was really. Uh, I agree with you guys. This was a really fun collection and well executed ideas across the board. Um, you know, I, I, I just thought it was adorable. They were doing really cute, fun. You know, you got the date night uh, with Babs and Nightwing. You know, which I know you loved. Uh, JT says. And the only <laughs> other thing, I mean, obviously, Red Tornado is going to be really into. You know. It, Pro AI dating, you know what I mean? So, like, you know, that was the only agenda I, I don't know if I was on board with. But other than that, I was having a great time. I still don't like The Flash, but, you know, what are you going to do? Marguerite Savage's art on that story is great. And very That's much unbelievable the, uh, art. classic David Ives sure thing uh, felt like that, the yep. short play. Let's move on to another Valentine's Day issue, Godzilla, Valentine's Day special number one from IDW, written by Zoe Tunnel, art by Sebastian Perez. This is following uh, somebody who's basically a monster chaser. I don't know what they're actually called in that world, but she deals with a monster attack and uh, loses her job decides to follow him around and ends up striking up a will they, won't they enemies to lovers romance with a guy who is fighting against Godzilla. I got to say, I love this so much more than I thought I would up until the very end of the book, which jumped past the spoiler here, but it jumped past like the romantic part, the part where like they finally kiss and get together 
So like 90% of the book, I love the will they, won't they, and then they skipped past it and just got to the future. And that was a bit of a bummer, but this went so much harder in terms of love in a time of Godzilla than I thought it would. So I had a good <laughs> but time. I with think it. that this is important because in the future, when you're running for your life, it's important to make small talk with the people around you. Cause you ever, never know. You know what I mean? Mm. Like this might be your yeah. one chance for a meet cute. So while you're running for your life, whether it be from a nuclear explosion, zombies, Godzilla, whatever it's going to be, you know, talk, talk it up. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah I mean, don't I just remember meet, when, meet I was, cute. Uh, when I was in New York on 9-11, and Always. this is true, like I turned to a girl and I was like, how are you doing? Wow, wow dude. You, yeah. You're now wife, right? My wife. Yeah. My wife. He, and she has never seen Matt LeBlanc on Friends, which uh, you stole yeah. your killer line from. She haven't. Uh, everything that I've said to her so far has been a quote <laughs> from Joey. From Joey, specifically oh. the show Joey, not Friends. Oh, that that no worries about that. I feel like not enough people saw that for you to be in any sort of trouble. Your your secret is safe. Occasionally, I use episodes, but. She doesn't know. So I haven't seen Joey on any streaming platforms. Is it out there? Yeah, it's yeah. on. Uh, it's on Joey yeah. Plus. You personally <laughs> stopped Joey Plus from ever airing. Um, I agree with you, Alex. This should have been two issues. It. Uh, it. We almost get to the that part, the rom com part that we want, and it just doesn't do it. Well, why don't we continue with love? For this pre-Valentine's Day show with Love Everlasting, number 12 from Image Comics, written by Tom King, art by Elsa Charetier. We have flipped the script and we're now following the cowboy who has been killing our main character, Joan, for the previous 10 issues. We're getting his origin story here continued. This is exactly what I needed to continue. Like, this is the what I was thinking while I was reading this is like. This is the shot in the arm this title yeah. needed to keep it going because I really thought we were running out of time and we're going to finish by this issue. This issue got me very stoked for more. It just goes to so, show you if you mention Rochester a couple of times, gets people hyped. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just gets them fucking pumped up and ready for more. And that's exactly what they do in this issue. They talk about Rochester a lot, and I am all for it. Yeah, people are like, Rochester, you mean North Binghamton? And everyone's like, yeah, we love Binghamton. Sick. <laughs> West, West Syracuse? Yeah. <laughs> East Buffalo? That town by the lake, sort of? Now, oh, yeah, I love it. <laughs> the Rochacha, baby, it's famous. And, uh, you know, if you put it in your creative endeavors, it'll make you famous. So uh, it's just, it's a giving place. Yeah, it's a giving place. Um, I agree with you, Alex. This was such a nice turn and refreshed the whole series. Now it could go anywhere like, mm-hmm. and go on to any point. So that's really exciting. Really well written, really well drawn, as you might expect. Uh, definitely looking forward to how they're going to just even move forward in general. Yeah, this continues to be a great story. And uh, I, yeah, and in this issue, I really got excited for what's to come. Daredevil Gang War, number three from Marvel, written by Erica Schultz, art by Sergio Davila. We are following Elektra, who is the new Daredevil, as she's fighting in the gang war per the title. But kind of spoiler here, there's been a mysterious 
assassin type character working for Madame Mask who has been pursuing Electra Daredevil. Turns out it's an off-brand X-23 clone who was left to die. Weird. Stop cloning Wolverine. This is just, there's too many clones. It's a weird twist because last issue they were like, who's behind the mask? And this issue is like, yeah, it's an off-brand Wolverine clone. Don't worry about it. And they kind of go from there. But even with that jump forward in terms of what the twist was with the book, Erica Schultz, reliable in terms of characterizations. I think she's doing a great job with Electra, who is a very complicated character to write and make you as a reader identify with at all. And that's exactly what I'm getting from this title. This has been one of the best gang war spinoffs. I think, uh, what about you guys? Yeah. Well, I, I, I was going to say, Bologna is a character that we've seen before in uh, the Wolverine series, like uh, a bunch okay. of times, not just, this isn't just an invention here. Bologna was the, uh, like a villain to, to Laura at Wolverine. And, and it comes when, from the Weird Al song, right? My Bologna? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Technically. Wow. A lot of comics were just ex- part of the Weird Al extended universe. Dare to be stupid, I always say. Yeah. I know it's you comics, do. but like, I feel like we've... I mean, how many clones of Wolverine can we have? You know what I mean? This is an established clone. Yeah. I, I hear you, man. I'm just... Anyways. Why are you I, tired? I ain't tired. Of, <laughs> why are you tired about this? I just, uh, you know, sometimes with comics, I'm like, eh, all right, all right, I guess. But you love, you love Wolverine. They just made a new one. It's yeah. like if you, it's like if I was like, hey, great news! I cloned your garbage plate from last night. <laughs> You're having it tonight. <laughs> great news! How, how yeah. much? <laughs> I, I'd be asking you about the hot sauce. Anyways, uh, I, I just think that clone like, the hot sauce. It's just as hot. It's just it's a different as, color. Yeah, but are is it the real hot sauce? Do you have meat in it, or is it? You know what I mean? Like same, what we talking about? Pretty much it? the same. Okay. Is I, it I this know. hot sauce? The claws come out of the eyeballs or whatever. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. So different. Oh man, I love a good garbage plate with eyeballs. You know, <laughs> I, I I do agree with you though that I'm enjoying. You should Google some of this stuff we're talking about. If you don't know what we're talking about, just look up. It's a Rochester thing garbage plate in Russia uh, uh, garbage plate look at you so i do enjoy in rochester garbage I, plate look at you i do enjoy daredevil in this book and uh what they're doing with the lecture i think this is a cool story so i'm glad we're getting more of this pete's the yakov smirnoff of rochester <laughs> um i agree this is fun love seeing bologna again actually and i hope she continues to be a character I just want to mention, I saw Yakov Shmirnov at a state fair once and thought it was the funniest thing I'd ever seen in my entire life. Like, Famously, the hottest thing you Actually funny, or you were fair. laughing at him? At I was, the fact that I was, was a kid, and I loved it. I was like, oh, yeah, you were You were at a state fair in, like, outside of St. Petersburg, Russia, right? <laughs> yeah, I was. I had just gotten done being tortured and was let out of the gulag. Yeah. Alexei Zelbin, you're going to love this Yakov Smirnov. Okay, whatever you say. Did someone make you kneel before Zod? They did. Kneel before Zod number two is what they made me do from DC Comics, written by Joe Casey, art by Dan McDade. Zod is still dealing with a cunt invasion of his new Krypton planet. Sorry, and what'd, you Ursa. Say? what'd you call that? Invasion? Cunt? Is that what it is? 
Whoa, uh, dude, what? Man, play it cool, Hot Chatter. Maybe it's cool. Uh, yeah, Coomed. exactly. Let's pronounce that differently, bro. <laughs> what? Dude, okay, I, I see what you're going for. Okay, anyway, yeah. Ursa is no, taking no, it. Just to be clear, she's being we're not going for it. <laughs> such a good. Oh, no, dude. What? Don't. What? No. Like the alien race. Don't. The alien race from DC Comics. <laughs> That's uh, what I'm I, saying. What are you fucking doing? I'm saying uh, the alien race from Deuce <laughs> Comics. Uh, I, this book has really surprised me. It's <laughs> dealing with like real like Zod bureaucracy, family dynamics. It's almost like a like a royal family, sort of like the crown if it was Zod. Uh, I like the twists we get at the end of this issue. Yeah, I agree with that. It's definitely like not your class. If you're just like, oh, I love Superman and who he fights. Let's see some Zod. This is a whole different thing, but it's a nice exploration, I thought. Yeah, I agree. I, I think it really does a great job of sitting in the Zod world and then kind of being like, what would happen here? And then I'm excited for the power shift that is to come. I think I would like this a little better if it was a black label title. And the reason for that mm. isn't just because of the out of continuity. Because they can swear and say anything you want in a black label? Is that why? That, yeah. If they could say like Kund, like a budge. <laughs> I would love it if there was extra page length, to be honest with you. Like, that's the thing. Yes. Because I think to the point that you're saying, Justin, Joe Casey is doing some really interesting stuff with Zod and him being essentially neutered from his conqueror phase, Ursa, his son, everybody else being like, yo, where are you, Zod? Get back to being the Zod we know. It would work better with a 40 to 50 page length versus the 20 to 22 pages that Joe Casey is currently getting in this comic book because I think it would give him more room to explore. It would give him more room to push on Zod and ultimately take it to some very dark places, which is where I feel it needs to go. And I feel it wants to go, but we're not quite getting there because it's actually in continuity. Uh, I still like it, but it's not going as hard as I want it to, I guess. Be patient, bro. Here's a comic that is going as hard as I wanted to. Yeah. The Call, number five from Image Comics, written yes. by Kelly Thompson, art by Mattia DeLuise, a.k.a. my issue of the week. This is the Ooh. one that 100% made me, like, gasp and scream out loud at the end. We're going to get into spoilers here, I think, or at least I'm going to get into spoilers because I want to talk about it. So we've been following a bunch of kids who teens who went through a portal to another world gained powers based on that world came As back do. found their world destroyed by enormous elder god style creatures and are now fighting kaiju back. i will say kaiju adjacent we're getting kaiju, kaiju adjacent they're fighting back of this issue and the two parts that made me gasp at this issue one the kaiju fight that happens, again, this is like skirting spoilers, but that there, I was like, oh, shit. And then the ending of the book made me so like, no, what are you doing here? Give me more of this series right now. How dare you? And that's a great feeling to have. Like, I immediately realized after that 
That means Kelly Thompson has set up these characters that I care about and want to follow. Mattia Luis, as we've said all along, is doing stunning artwork with creepy characters throughout. This issue definitely leads more into like superhero Godzilla style fights, but it still digs into the emotional life of the characters in a very real way. This series was phenomenal. If you didn't pick it up, pick it up individual issues, pick it up in trade. Do not miss it. This is one of my favorites of the year. The art is so wild. Oops. The art is so wide panel. It feels like you're dipping into a full, it's like stranger things. If you're a fan of stranger things, this is definitely right there. It feels like you're just dipping into a full television show on every panel. It's great. Yeah. It's a, it's a banger for sure. I, uh, it's it's badass what they're doing on this. It's amazing action, great story, well-earned moments. I mean, amazing last panel that gets you just so pumped for more. Yeah, Kelly Thompson is just killing it right now, and uh, it's really awesome. I, I'm, I can't believe... I can't believe they got where they got to in this story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. From the middle all the way to the end. It's wild. Great. Uh, it's great. Nothing like this on the stands. Let's move on to talk about Doctor Strange number 12 from Marvel. Written by Jed McKay. Art by Danilo S. Bay Ruth. We are turning the focus to Baths, the ghost dog of Doctor Strange, as he goes on kind of his own solo adventure. And ultimately we get... Not a new villain, but a recurring villain for Doctor Strange who emerges yeah. in this issue. I thought this was great. What did you guys think? Yeah, I I really love this, but it you know it's kind of like that moment where I'm yelling at the comic book. I mean, if you're gonna have a talking ghost dog, you got to listen to it when it's fucking trying to get your goddamn attention. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean but ghost dogs are probably like ba 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 ba. Oh, oh no, there's a, a fire truck going by. Ba 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 ba. Well, you can't listen. I, Yeah, but there's a difference between fire truck, I want a tree, and like, hey, listen, we need to fucking talk, boss, because something's fishy here. And, you know, it just drives me nuts when people are ignored and uh, not listened to when they're Ignoring a pet? Yeah. Do you listen to to your pets over the years? Always. Wow. I respect and love uh, my pets. Yeah. (laughs) You respect them. That's why when your cats were like, dig up this part of the front yard, there's something cool there. And you found some. I got my shovel and I did it, man. I made a mess of that front yard. Got some sick mouse bones, right? Yeah. Sick, bro. Nice. That's the necklace you're wearing, right? It's mouse bones. (laughs) It's mostly mouse bones. I got to say, it looks really good. Thanks. And check out Pete. If you want a, a mouse bone necklace like Pete's, check out Pete's site, Pete's Mouse Yeah, bones. go to mostlymousebones.com. <laughs> check it out. Most, <laughs> mostlymousebones.com. The secret oh, ingredient man. is what's not mouse bones. <laughs> but the art on this book is phenomenal. I mean, just absolutely phenomenal. Oh, man. That, mostly mouse bones really got me. Uh, this book is very good. I love Jed McKay. Continuing a great storytelling here. I got to shout out the use of Black Cat in this issue and then coming into the next issue. Um, as Wait, a you've read the next issue already? No, but the preview for the next issue talks about how um, Doctor Strange has to assemble some sort of squad, a group of defenders, and one of which is uh, Black Cat. 
Jed McKay loves Black Cat. Poison Ivy, so number I, 19 like from, D- from DC Comics, written by G. Willow Wilson, art by Masira Takara. In this issue, picking up off the cliffhanger of the last issue, Poison Ivy is dying because she gave birth to her arch enemy, Woodrow, and in her dying moments is flashing back to her origin. This is a remix of her origin from this team that is reframing it through... I would suggest a more feminist lens based on Mm. how they're looking at it through Poison Ivy's perspective versus the very male gazy perspective that she's had for decades at this point. As usual with this title, this is great. Looks great. Fantastic. This book continues to just keep moving like a shark to the most interesting things and chowing down on them. And I, this has been one of the most consistently excellent books that DC has put out. Yeah, agreed. The art is just phenomenal. It continues to just be so. Uh, this issue is a little heartbreaking, you know, but, um, you know, it's been really impressive, this uh, series. Saucer Country, the finale number one from Image Comics, written by Paul Cornell and Chris Ryle, art by Ryan Kelly and Nelson Daniel. This is finishing off a series that has been now through three different publishers. It started in Vertigo, moved over to IDW, I believe, before finishing for this one shot on Image Comics. We're also getting a backup story from... Chris Lyle and Nelson Daniel. I got to say, I think I read every issue of this comic, but it has been so long since this came out. If you haven't re recently reread them, you're going to have a hard time with this. Yeah. I would say reread them before, because this for, despite the fact that it's a number one, this is the end. This is the cap. This is the tip of the hat. It does say final issue on there. So it's. Yeah. yeah. But, but I'm just saying the fact that it was the number one, I was like, oh, okay. Uh, at first. And then. But it, it it truly, it brings it to a close. We get our final moments. I mean, it's hard to talk, say too much about it, but just continues to be um, the excellent thing. I really like seeing Ryan Kelly's art, uh, an artist I've loved for a long time, all the way back to, I want to say, New York 4. Was that a book that Ryan mm. Kelly did many years Maybe. ago? Maybe. Wow. New York 4. That was a deep cut there. Uh, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I, a lot goes down. You get some answers, which is great. Cool idea. Well executed. It's just uh, as the Zalbatron uh, beeped, um, it's been too long. So it's uh, hard to know or remember what was happening. It definitely reminded me that I really liked this series back in the day as I was reading through this going like, oh, right, that character, that was good. And if anybody's curious, this is about conspiracy theories around UFOs that turn out to be real or not to be real. And that's what a lot of what this is dealing with. But again, this is not an issue you want to read on its own. You do have a fun backup story from Chris Ryle that does stand on its own, but at the same time. Go back, read the whole series if you can find it, and then follow it up with this finale. Let's move on to Other Aliens with Alien Number 4 from Marvel, written by Declan Shelley. Once block. again, art by... And we got our cat block. We got our alien block. Meow. Art by Andrea Brocardio. This is bringing this to a close as uh, we have our main character as finally reunited with her android dad on an ice planet. We're getting the origins of that and the end of that at the same time. What did you guys think about the finale of this arc? Well, this was super intense and and a lot of fun. 
Oh, Justin, I'm sorry. Did upsetting, very upsetting by the end of this issue. Nobody else. I mean, it's a, it's a bummer. I mean, yeah. Are you upset about that really cool looking giant white alien that like we're just getting to know that dies? Oh, that we're just getting to know. I mean, <laughs> I, I don't know how much we would ever get to know the Winter Beast. Yeah, the uh, Winter Beast. Do you think the Winter Beast would like to go go out for a drink sometime? I just love to plug its brain, like get a like, you know, some yeah. input from it. Well, there's a section when out. all the all the other aliens are attacking the Winter Beast, and the Winter Beast says, uh, "Dirty Martini." It feels like a drink order, Alex. Maybe yeah, that's I think so. I love to interface with it. Is my point. I thought um, I, I must have read it wrong because I thought when Winter Beast was dying, he was saying like, "I guess we'll never know." You know. Oh, man. oh wow! I, I just feel like I really liked our main character here, uh, and it, the way the story Winter unfolded. Beast. You're no, about that's not that's oh. no. Nope, As so sorry, Winter Beast Pete. would say, "Let's circle back on that later." Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm talking about Zasha, the uh, young character we followed in the previous Oh, the human? Arc. The human. Oh, and the... And the oh, you don't oh, like I'm the sorry. human? This uh, comic book isn't called Human Number for Yeah, it's exactly. Pete, Pete, as alien. human, though, I thought you would be rooting for the humans, but no, Never. you're rooting... In an alien thing? No. You, in the alien movie. movies, and oh, you were rooting for the aliens? Yeah. They're yeah. the monster. Oh wow! Are they? They're just chilling. Have you ever some met Sigourney Weaver? <laughs> wow, she's a real cunt, if you ask me. Whoa! <laughs> Not cool, bro. Not cool. Don't you even joke like that? That's all right. We'll definitely edit that. Respect. You <laughs> put some respect on Weaver's name. Yeah. Put a, some respect it on that. Was an icon. Well, anyway, Red Hood, The Hill, number zero from DC Comics, written by Sean Martin, bro, art by Tony Akins. This is a collection of two previously published issues of a Red Comic, Red Hood comic book, kicking off the new Red Hood, The Hill comic book that's coming later on. This is Jason Todd going to yet another district of Gotham. That's dealing with the after effects of the Joker War, but at the same time dealing with gentrification. I like the idea here mm-hmm. of having a gentrified neighborhood of Gotham and how they deal with the regular madness that happens in Gotham. I don't know if Jason Todd is the right guy to put in the center of that. And uh, mm. yeah. I don't know. I, I think that's like my big takeaway from reading this, though. Generally, I'm curious to read the first issue and see how that pads out. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, the I, good I, news I, is it's a zero issue, so who gives a shit? You know what I mean? It's a fucking zero. Yeah. Um, so hopefully, once we get to the first issue, uh, this will all be resolved. But that's when things start to matter. Yeah, I don't like zero issues. Um, uh, there was a sweet moment between Jason and Bruce. Nice. Bruce Wayne. Yep. Nice. Jason Todd. Uh, do I got to say last names? Do we not know who the <laughs> fuck we're talking about? Well, I just, I don't know. You make sound like you know him. <laughs> I'm just saying, I don't know well, how I, well you know Bruce I Wayne. I mean, at, at what point would you, you know, say you know Robin? I mean, it's been years. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I wish Robin you even talk about. All yeah. Time. You went to college with uh, with uh, Jason Todd, right? Yeah. I, I like to call Jason Todd J.T. Sizzler. 
What? That's me. <laughs> that's way what? too close. Yeah. Oh, how dare oh, you? That's I didn't too even close. realize that. That's crazy. Wait, with one Z? I will say I have I have Todd qualities. <laughs> uh, you stole the wheels me... off a car once. Yeah. Wow. Wait, are you quoting the Christmas Batman song? <laughs> that's what he did. In continuity, wow. he stole the wheels off the Batmobile and uh, Batman caught him and was like, I'm going to adopt you. Mm. The Batmobile lost its wheel because yeah. Jason and the Todd Joker ran away. Wow. What a, no wonder he came back to uh, kill him with a crowbar. Yeah. And uh, at that point, just to clarify, Batman did spell. <laughs> Legally, we have to say that. Um, I really like a story that focuses on Jason Todd where he's not just being a casual dick. I feel like so much – we don't get a lot of Jason Todd being a person that we're just sort of getting to – see in the world. So I like these issues. I feel like uh, Sean Martinborough um, is writing this comic in a way that feels current without being like, uh, here's my funny name for TikTok. Uh, I call it Gab Crab or whatever. Like this feels actually talking about real things that are current in the world that doesn't feel fake. So shouts to that. And I'm on board for the number one. Wow. First off, great flex. I mean, not many people know that TikTok almost was called Gab Club, but you yeah. you knew that. Yeah, mm-hmm. it I'm was supposed to be guy. a platform for crabs to talk and talk to each other, and then it just evolved over time. Yeah, like exactly. Hey, a bunch of humanos took over. Alex, why don't you talk about the next comic that only you were excited about that came out? Oh, I'm also true. excited about this. That's not true. Two out of three, it bad, as I always say. Beneath the Trees Where Nobody Sees, number three from IDW by Patrick Horvath. If you're not reading the series, you're missing out. This is uh, the wild world of Richard Scarry meets Dexter, and I mean that in every sense of that phrase. We are following a main character who who is a serial killer who has kept it on the DL for a very long time until a new serial killer starts operating in her town. And this issue, we find out maybe who that other serial killer is. It is twisty. It is so dark and upsetting Uh. at the same time as the characters of the most adorable characters you've ever seen in your life. I love this book. Um, Yeah, it's great. Because you're a murderer. Agree. Yes, I, and then I agree. I'm also a murderer, a murderer. Uh, as well. This book is so good. It's such a like beyond all of the tension and scariness and the juxtaposition of the Dexter story with the busy world of Richard Scary. Like it is just a great. This issue is just a great like character study and just a great like. Boiling storyline between these characters that is very tense. This could be a standalone procedural episode if it was in a different context. I love this book. And Pete, I know you think this is like a dark, scary book. This is leagues away from the darkest, scariest book in this stack that we're going to talk about right now in a little bit. Well, I agree to disagree. I think having something that looks cute and shiny while being one of the most fucking murderous, freakiest kind of thing. It's basically how to get away with murder if you live in a fucking town. I mean, it's just ridiculous. It's like... And you handed this book to a bunch of, like, young children, right, Pete? Because it's Yeah, accidentally. Oh, it's just one of those horrible mishaps where it was like, I was going to handle... And sorry, for anybody who's listening only to the audio podcast, you are a cartoon bear, right? <laughs> I mean, you don't even have to. You can see him and say, "Like that's a cartoon bear." <laughs> it's basically a cartoon bear. 
He's hibernating with his comic books for the winter. Always. Great. Well, anyway, two out of three <laughs> dentists agree. Pick up this comic book. It's too book. scary, man. The Sensational, the third dentist, disagrees. The Sensational, She-Hulk, number five from Marvel, written by Rainbow Rowell, art by Ig Guara. In this issue, She-Hulk and her friends are fighting some new demon enemies at a club. And then at the end of the day, she wants, just wants to come back. Jack of hearts and snog, as we say over here Ooh. in England. Pete, you're a pump in your fist. Take it away. Yeah, this is great. I mean, this has been sensational. She-Hulk has been just unbelievable. Yeah, it's it's sensational. The art is fantastic. The writing is great. And the kind of will they, won't they with Jen and Jack of Hearts here. And, uh, you know, they finally get she gets to kiss her boyfriend. And it's such a sweet, uh, well-earned moment. And, uh, yeah, I loved it. I got... Uh, all a flutter. It was uh, it was uh, adorbs, and uh, yeah, so awesome comic continues to be great. I love showing the sweet side to She Hulk, uh, her kind of leading with our heart. Uh, it's just such a great idea and so well executed. And artistically, this is just such an impressive comic. Doesn't look like a lot of comics on the shelf, and I mean that in a great way. It's just so fantastic. This book just can't not rom-com. Like, She-Hulk and Jack of Hearts, we get a little taste of them at a point. But, like, the main story is about Hellcat. And it's awesome. It's fantastic. It's dramatically staged. You really buy into the emotional journey that her and the other character featured here are going on. It's funny. Great action. Beautiful art. This is just a great package all around. It's a great package. Great package. Rogue Son, number 18 from Image Comics, written by Ryan Parrott, art by Abel. And this is finishing up the arc where our main character has had his body taken over by a descendant of Rogue Son. We're getting a lot of characters here. And I have to say, as the main proponent of this book on the podcast, there's a little bit too much going on in this book. But yes, they... Thankfully, distill it down by the end here to the basics. We get the characters, a reset of the whole premise. Still very excited to read this book. I really love this book. But there was just too many things going on in the past couple of issues. The wheelbarrow was overflowing, as I always say in this book. But it did land in a decent place. This is definitely Alex's fave. And I love the massive verse, though, as well. So I'll always pick it up. But it felt like just a really full wheelbarrow. You know what I'm talking about. Oh, man. Yeah. Full wheelbarrow. Sure, sure. Uh, yeah. Great cover. Fun-ish. Amazing art. Uh, God, I it just I love these panels. They're so beautiful. Sure, things get a little crazy, but they're combat down by the end. So you can get excited for what's to come. House of Slaughter, number 21, Ashcan for Boom Studios, written by Tate Bromble, art by Antonio Fuso. This is part of something that Boom Studios have been doing to, I assume, promote their books, where they've been releasing black and white versions a month in advance of the regular versions actually hitting stands. So House of Slaughter 21 will hit next month with full color. This is in black and white. The idea is to focus on the art, but also presumably to promote the books in a certain way. And we're getting the kickoff of a big storyline where we're once again focusing on Boucher uh, from the (laughs) House of Butcher. And yeah, great character. Excited to see what's going to happen next. This is a good tease for what's to come. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm a sucker for Ashcan. I love the black and white style. Um, I wonder if it takes a whole month to add color to a comic. Uh, that's an interesting. Yeah. Uh, but we well, yeah. got to pick the berries for the different like red. <laughs> yeah, to make yeah. it red and uh, the different. There's a lot flowers. that goes into blue, the color. Blueberries, blueberries, raspberries, obviously. But yeah, I just think this continue, blackberries. This continues to be a great series. Snozberries, first snoz. They do a great job of getting you excited for what more. What do they taste like? Artistically, uh, it's very impressive. Yeah. I love the story, so this is awesome. I think we're doing director's commentary for this uh, live. Uh, uh, when uh, Pete uh, was first reviewing House of Slaughter, oh my god, it's crazy. He said it all. Yeah. We had nothing more to say, uh, but I, I agree. This is very good. It's this comic continues to open the world up of something is killing the children in a way that <laughs> is still character driven in a in a really strong way. I'm just trying to think about what a director's commentary episode of one of our podcasts would be like. <laughs> well, do you know that podcast that I believe is uh, about? It's uh, Matt Walsh. And uh, what's his name uh, uh, from Veep? And they would go through and Pete Simpson or something like that. And he, they would go through and they over pandemic, they started doing commentary on their podcast where they were reviewing Veep episodes. Oh, my God. That's us. We have yeah, to do that. That's great. Absolutely. Let's rip off that idea. Captain America number six from Marvel, written by J. Michael Straczynski, art by Lon Medina. Captain America is fighting back. Against his new adversary, who is a demon in human form named Asmodee, who wants to erase him from history. Previously, and we find out in this issue exactly what happened, Asmodee tried to attack Steve Rogers back when he was asthmatic and sick and about to die. Didn't really take. And now he's trying to do it again, or they're trying to do it again. I don't want to misgender that demon. (laughs) Wow. Wow. Nice. Uh, there also, you know, a lot of Nazi stuff happening in this too. Yeah, you know I mean? no, but that's true. They're around. I, I, I mean, uh, yeah. Go go ahead. Ahead. No, no go I was ahead. just going to say my same thing as last issue. Like this last issue, really, previous issue number five really kind of put me off this series in a certain way because it centered Steve Rogers so much as like, I'm a hero who is asthmatic, but I can do anything and I'm going to fight Nazis. And that continues this issue. And I'm just not like there for that. That feels like too much of a retcon to me. And in the modern day, the asthma day thing, I know it's probably going to keep going at least through issue 12 and it's going to pop up again, but it wrapped up very quickly for me in this issue. So Really like the first four issues of the series. Got put off a little bit by five and six, but I'll keep reading. I I I just feel like this is just kind of uh, a fun. You're you're you know Steve versus Nazis, and you know and that's uh, you know what's what gets old about classic. That. Yeah, and I just think that like there was a kind of a sweet moment at the end there where he was kind of covering up. You know, he's doing some painting. You know, and uh, so, yeah, I, I thought it was kind of a sweet ending. So I, I understand what you're saying. That makes sense. But by the end of it, I was like, oh, Steve, all right, I'm here for it. Yeah, I mean, I hear you, Alex. You don't like the the retconning nature. And there's a lot of that in this issue specifically that sets up 
why Steve Rogers was so sickly that he needed a special government serum to be chosen. And this issue, I feel like in this comic, when you poke too hard at the superhero origin, it's sort of like, wait, they chose the literal sickliest person to deliver this very expensive serum to, to make him into a, a hero. Seems like a strange idea. Because you had the heart of the, a champion. That's why it was the what was in the inside that mattered. Yeah, but I don't know. It feels weird to be like, let's pick someone who's a let's pick a child who's gonna die and then inject them with a serum to see if they're gonna become uh, this great government uh, super spy or super asset. Like just it just it, it points a little too hard at the origin and makes it a little weird, I think. But I will say the present day story. I've been in on the it's weirdly comedic in some of the choices that have been made. And I like the way that this story resolves in the present day, how Captain America really pushes it to probably his own detriment in this next arc. It kind of reminds me of Equalizer three when, uh, you know, Denzel Washington's kind of having a discussion about like, hey, when people do graffiti, you got to paint over it. You know what I mean? You don't need okay, to boomer. mention okay, that boomer. it was from Equalizer 3. We all know that. Like, oh, everybody. Yeah, exactly. When I say, yeah. Yeah, we, yeah, no, we get yeah, it. Yeah. You could have just yeah. said. I think the Equalizer 3, you can't watch that unless you're over 40 years old, right? <laughs> That's just the, the way the movie works. It's like a Red Band trailer, but you yeah, have I, to be. I believe it was PG-40. Yeah. Oh, my God. I just, <laughs> I realized I was talking about Equalizer 2, not 3. Oh, oh no. We got a crisis on our hands, <laughs> gang. We referenced the wrong Equalizer. Uh, Shazam number 8 from DC Comics, written by Mark Wade, art by Goran Suzuka. We are dealing with the fallout of the fact that Black Adam and Shazam's fight wrecked Shazam's family home, which ends up so much worse than he could have predicted. This ends up with a talking it out with Black Adam and a bunch of space dinosaurs. You just feel Mark Wade having a nice time writing this book. This guy's doing wheelies. He loves Shazam. He loves these dinosaurs. The, the fun is being had. The panels where Shazam is flying from a space station or a spaceship with a giant dinosaur on one shoulder and his tiny sister on the other is very fun. Uh, otherwise, this is just uh, classic comic storytelling via Mark Wade. Yeah, this is silly and fun. I mean, you know, you got your little sister driving a villain who's a T-Rex nuts with, you know, the classic, why? Why? You know, so, I, you know, uh, I, it's just, uh, it seems like a good time. Yeah, it's a good time. Uh, last thing that I'll say about this, though, even though I like this team, and of course we like Mark Wade here on the podcast, Josie Campbell is taking over this title. Yeah, I, I don't know exactly what issue, honestly, but like going forward, and she has been crushing it. Uh, new champion of Shazam over on Amazon's Attack. I don't know if they're going to continue to center Billy Batson or Mary Marvel. Kind of doesn't matter to me. I'm very excited for her to come out the title because I think like it's going to be just that next level that it needs right now. Bloodrick number three from Image Comics by Andrew Cranky. This is the final issue of this title. Check out our interview with Andrew Cranky on the live show where we uh, talk we to him about talk. this book. Pete. Gotcha. Gotcha. It was a Pete trap. Uh, this is about a barbarian who's very hungry, and this issue, he finally gets to eat a bunch of stuff. Yeah, eating. 
I had a great time <laughs> reading this Eating book. Good. The art is gorgeous throughout, just like these very detailed barbarian uh, landscapes and other things. We talked a little bit with Andrew on the show about how, first of all, he had never seen Conan, which was shocking to me. And second of all, that he was like, yeah, he's just kind of hungry. And we talked about how Conan always is like, I'm going to go to this mystical thing and do this thing. And that's kind of what he does this issue. But instead, it, it just gets away from that so quickly because it does not care about all of that stuff. Very fun. Like he talked about, it's like this midway point between Conan and Gru. And I really enjoyed the series. And for someone who hasn't seen a lot of Conan, like he is able to do it and also almost parody it. It's not a parody is too strong a word, but it is definitely like sort of pushing against what you would expect from a Conan story in that way. But it's just super satisfying. And the backups I've been loving as well. There's one in this issue where Bloodrick is mad at a crow. And man, (laughs) it's great. The resolution yeah. is great. So, like, this is a great – it's it's only three issues. Uh, if you're at all interested based on what we're saying, I'm sure it's going to be collected. But you can just, just grab an issue and see what you think because it's very fun. Yeah, it continues to be really badass in all the right ways. And, uh, yeah, I think it's – it's a it's really cool and uh, yeah it's it's an interesting kind of take on a, a barbarian type of story and all the right ways. It's the sort of thing I know I keep going back to TV, but it's the sort of thing that like I wish Gendi Tartakovsky would see because it feels mm. like right in line with old Samurai Jack or the original Clone Wars episodes where it's just like these ten to fifteen minute episodes of Bloodrick doing stuff. Honestly, it's very close to Primal, mm. the other okay. uh, Gendy show on uh, on HBO. Yeah. yeah. A great comic. Definitely pick that up. Moving on to another one, Pine and Merryback, number two from Boob Studios, written by Kyle Starks, art by Fran Galan. We are following a pair of in-love investigators as they check out a weird mystery on an island in this issue. Pete, I think you were a big fan of the first issue, if I remember correctly. What did you think about the second one? Yeah, I, I was and love the second issue. Uh, yeah, I'm really enjoying the time that we get to spend with these two. They're back and forth. They're dynamic as fun. Great action. Love the art style. Uh, yeah, this is very cool looking and also very enjoyable. Uh, really impressed with the first two issues. Uh, yeah, I mean, I like this too. It's They're very chill as a couple. It's very like we're still having fun despite the fact that they're being almost murdered a lot and they're dealing with a lot of yeah but that's uh, their that's their every day they're quick their every day is almost dying you know what i mean see it's kind of a where it's not as a big deal after a while yeah no i get it well you get it it's like every day hibernating for you is like you're every day yeah, exactly so you're like every day i'm a little bear and <laughs> so it makes a lot of sense <laughs> yes. that's your thing uh, uh, but man, I mean, it's I still see, very fun. I can see myself making a shirt that says "Every day I'm a little bear." <laughs> that that should be for sale for everyone, just in yeah, general. It doesn't have absolutely. to. Doesn't have to be Pete's little bear. Oh, I'll make a note about that in a second. Thanos <laughs> number three from Marvel, written by Christopher Cantwell, art by Luca Pizzari and Jermaine Peralta. After last issue, Thanos finally quartered this lady who was working at a diner and said, "Hey." Your death. You've come to Fresno. What's going on? 
In this issue, we get a bunch more of that. As it turns out, spoiler, she is, in fact, death. And we find out exactly what happened, how she got turned into a human, why Thanos is after her, why the Illuminati is there, all of that stuff. This series is weird. <laughs> it is really weird. And I'll tell you what, there's a better version of this story, I think. I want this story where it's about the Illuminati and it's death coming to them in the first issue and saying, like, I want to go be a human. And then we deal with the repercussions. We, we It's being told in this backwards Thanos way that is just, uh, to me, that part's not working. I don't buy Thanos behaving this way. I, I, it just feels like not quite right. And there's just another entry point here that I think would have been way better. Uh, I mean, you know, if you're talking about other entry points, I think, uh, you know, Death should have walked up on the Illuminati and been like, uh, have you guys heard of this Thanos guy? He won't leave me alone. He's really creeping yeah. me out. He, he's, he's dogging me. Yeah, he keeps really bothering me, calling me all sorts of kinds of names. Um, assuming I'm his mistress, I'm not, I assure you. Yeah, I, I, I think that it is a weird story and it's, uh, a little bit of a lot of things happening at once. And it's just like in the middle of all the madness, Thanos trying to hit on her or be like, Hey, you're my mistress. It's just, it's, it's really weird, man. The thing that isn't working me, working for me about it is it's got and maybe this is what you're getting at, Justin, but like it has this Jim Starlin arc of I don't necessarily have the problem with the idea that death was like, turn me into a human woman, figure out how to do this. I'm going to be down cool. here in Fresno or some town. Thanos is like, I'm going to scorch the earth to find you because I love death. That's the big, bold things that Starlin would absolutely hit in those sort of storylines. But they're melding it with like, Comedy stuff that, per the previous person we were talking about, but like Kyle Starks would do very well in an out-of-continuity title where they're in a Mexican restaurant, you know, and it's a burnt-out Mexican restaurant and somebody is still serving them. Or last issue, we had Thanos in the tiny car. And these two yeah. tones don't meld. Like, either you're going to go for a what-the-style tone or you're going to go for a Jim Starlin tone. You can't do both at the same time. So, yeah, I agree. Suicide Squad Kill Arkham Asylum, number one from DC Comics, written by John Lehman, art by Jesus Hervez. This is an official prequel to the new video game Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League. Honestly, much harder to kill a building than kill a bunch of uh, people, yeah. but they're going to try, you know, and that's what we get I, in this issue. I mean, it depends on who you I ask. Got, I got egg on my face for pitching Kill Bill Ding as a like sort of a Quentin Tarantino follow up, uh-huh. and man, nobody nobody wanted it. But oh, I, it was like slowly, mm-hmm. like using a katana and cutting up the brick. Yeah, yeah. Oh, if boy. it's a brick, if it's a brick house. You got to go for the uh, cement in between, and then you can break it away. Ah, oh, man, man, you get it. Man, you must be a real mason. <laughs> Uh, anyways, yeah, this was a great issue. I had such a blast with this. I think this was such a fun kind of uh, a crazy thing. And I, I love how big they made Croc in this, which is great. Killer Croc. Um, so, He's a killer. Yeah, I, I love artistically what they're doing, how it's a little different uh, 
than the what we normally get. So, yeah, I just think creatively this is a fun kind of place to kind of set things, to have everybody in one spot and let all the kind of madness ensue. Yes, please. This is great. Love it. I think the art really suits. This is just a great, yes. great artist selection for a Suicide Squad story. Uh, love the head biting off moment in yep. this and yep. the full splash page that comes from it. Yeah, this is very much following up on the Arkham games and leading into the Suicide Squad game, but I don't think you need to have played either to pick this up and enjoy it. Crave, number three, from Image Comics by Maria. Love it. Things get even more sensual at our college campus as the Crave app runs wild. People are following their desires or fighting against them, but there are hints that things might be wrong with this app Justin, I think you were pretty turned on by this book. You want to talk oh about it? Oh, boy. I love this book. It, I mean, uh, just caveat, it is very sexual, but I think that is sort of what you're buying into when you when you read this book. And it's super well done while adding the edge of the the interpersonal character-driven interactions relating to sex, but also the larger sort of... Uh, sci-fi story of this app being uh, taking control of these different people at this college. I just really love it. And the art is really well done and really connected to it. This is so if you read faithless at all, um, this book is I think better and just a, a much better synthesis of some of the themes of that book brought together. Yeah, I agree with you, Justin. I mean, Maria Lovett's art is absolutely gorgeous throughout. I also think this issue builds very nicely on the idea of like, oh, did you think this app was going to go well? No, of course it isn't. Uh, And it's going horribly, horribly wrong in this issue. I'm really curious to see where this goes with these characters next, because there's hints that it's going to go outside the campus. So... I don't know how far this is going to go or where it's going to grow as a story, but I'm really enjoying it based on the first three issues. Pete, how horny did this make you? Just like a scale of... Stop being a fucking creep, man. Yeah, this is artistically uh, uh, very beautiful. Oh, I'm sorry. Do you not regularly ask your friends how horny they are? Yeah. No, No, I don't. Every morning, I text everybody. Yeah, horny check. Everybody. Everybody. Great. I'm Uh, definitely texting that to both of you tomorrow morning. Shouts. (laughs) Look forward to that. But from a larger like like my response. No, it's expected. Perhaps if you're just like very, is the response you give me? (laughs) Yeah, no, that would be surprising in a fun way. Just a wet emoji. Oh man! But I, I, I mean, just this back on this book, like it does take the way the sort of wild like way that sexuality like it it just takes you to that sort of being in the throes of that in a way that is both exciting titillating but also scary in a in a way and this book just is able to capture that which is very hard fantastic four number 17 for marvel written by ryan north art by carlos gomez the fantastic four discovers dim bones are buried and it seems like it's actually Susan Storm's bones. And because of that, they end up in a little bit of a scuffle with Rama Tut, one of the aspects of Kang. Uh, this is a classic Fantastic Four adventure that calls back 
to very specifically to the Stanley Jab Kirby issues. That's something that they've been skirting for 17 issues at this point, but I think they specifically call out here in a really real way. Um, super fun. I love every issue of this title. I'm having a great time. Yeah, I mean, the amount a, of, you go. It's a little creepy the way uh, Sue Storm is being fast and loose with bones, just bringing him to life, having him walk around. That was a little creepy. But uh, other than that, um, Tut as a villain. Oh, is, crazy for the guy that owns mostly mousebones.com to be so <laughs> sensitive about the bones. Oh, I forgot. I'll quickly forget about my mousebone necklace that I have yeah, on. Mousebones yeah. are cute and tiny. <laughs> Yeah, human bones, large, yeah. gross, too big. Uh, yeah, but uh, it's fun to see Todd again, so that was cool. Um, yeah, I mean, I run yuckyhumanbones.com, so we had uh, <laughs> oh. another, another of Pete's home website. Is it yucky mostly human bones, or are you only <laughs> dealing in human bones? I mean, I got to say, like, the mostly in mostly mouse bones is unnecessary. Right. That's to criticize <laughs> you. It sounds to me like you haven't been I to Justin's website. That website. He has yuckyhumanbones.com slash mostly and yuckyhumanbones.com <laughs> slash backslash. But partially. <laughs> partially. Uh, I just think Ryan Very North is a do- website. Yeah, that's what I'm, I'm all about, comprehension. <laughs> Um, Ryan North is just doing the most like detailed, meticulous exploration of the Fantastic Four that I've ever read. This the way that we get there, there's a couple pages dealing with um, how they get out of the situation using Braille, and the way it is just like rendered in this book. It's so intimate, makes so much sense, and it's like it's also like told in this like just super positive way. Yep. Honestly, Pete, you you always dislike the Reed Sue relationship. I thought this was just a great example of why their relationship is important and why it works. Yeah, way to really look deep to try to find a way to save that relationship. Anyways, I Didn't think have that, to look save uh, it. It's impenetrable. Yeah, it's it's a fucking sham. Listen, Namor, get out of here. Hey, don't. Anyways, I he. I'm not going to get into a giant fight. He doesn't even have a that. shirt. He just wears a bathing suit. Who cares? Suit At least he way. treats her with respect. Are you fucking kidding me? The way the fucking respect. Reed, Reed ignores her, dude. She is invisible to him. That's why she has that power because she means fucking nothing to that guy. Neymar wears a speedo to to every event. If he cares, I think that's insulting. That's what matters. Puts some pants and, on if you care. Anyways, listen. If you're a respected doctor who is has a field and you're doing this fucking archaeological <laughs> dig and it's serious. And then all of a sudden someone's playing old fucking skeleton bones and jumping around with these things. I think it's a little bit of a slap in the face. That's Sue. You're mad at Dr. Susan storm. And yeah. uh, sorry, we have a couple of more titles to talk about. So I just want to mention if anybody wants more information on this, check out yuckyhumanbones.com <laughs> slash please put on some pads. Dark Spaces Dungeon number three from IDW by Scott Snyder, art by Oh, Hayden. now we're running out of time. <laughs> <laughs> 
No, that was uh, no. When you start I'll, screaming, I'll that's that like an alarm anyway. clock. When you start screaming, Pete, that's an alarm clock. So the podcast must end almost immediately. We're yes. snoozing it for nine minutes. That's all we got. <laughs> this is a dark seven inspired book about a cop who was previously trapped in a horrific dungeon. He is teaming up with another guy who was trapped in the horrific dungeon. They are interviewing a third person who was trapped in a horrific dungeon and trying to track down a kid who is currently trapped in the dungeon. This is like reading, I mean, per the name, but like reading darkness personified in terms of a book. It's grueling. You think Beneath the Trees Where Nobody Sees is scary? This book is brutal. Uh, From nice, famous, nice guy, Scott, Scott Snyder, he's writing an absolute... Uh, black as night, pitch black comic book. I mean, it's very good. It's just like dealing the images we see and the words on the page are terrifying. This is this reminded me of this is more horrifying than True Detective Night Country currently airing. On Dude, HBO. are you fucking kidding me right now? Yeah, a show that Pete is watching and is too scared to watch. Yeah, I'm watching it in between my fingers. Uh, yeah, this is. Uh, very dark, but also really impressive and amazing. Uh, artistically, it's awesome. It's a very interesting, uh, exciting story. I'm I'm dying to see what happens, but I'm scared shitless. Once Upon a Time at the End of the World, number 12 for Boob Studios, written by Jason Aaron, art by Nick Dragota and Alexandre Tefenki. We've jumped forward to the future where Maceo and Mezzi are now old and broken. And of course as you might expect, forced to work together by the end of this issue. Continues to be one of the best comic books on the stand. This is very much a middle issue, but man, uh, I can't wait to see how this relationship turns out at the end, what their final statement on romance is, and it's coming soon. I agree. I love this book. I don't know what the what the final sort of metaphor or statement here is going to be. We're getting some of like once you in this issue, once you break up, you sort of forget what was good about the person. And it's a lot of that sort of very negative looking back on the relationship as if it, it becomes very thin and the meaning, the meaning becomes less meaningless. It becomes meaningless. And I don't know where we're going to get at the end of it. So uh, I'm excited to get <laughs> there. What's the word I'm trying to think of? It's when there's meaning, but there's less. But of there's it. less uh, meaning. You know what I mean? There's meaning, but yeah. That, but less meaning. Not as much of the meaning. Yeah, I. Uh, this is just really impressive. Um, there, you think it's like, oh, this is just a post-apocalyptic rom-com here, but it's gone so much past it in such an amazing way and explored the real kind of uh, ups and downs that a relationship can go through in such an interesting, unique way. I'm just really impressed by the depths that we're going into this relationship. Uh, and it's insane that, like... These two figures who were so important in their lives just kind of walked past each other like it was a fucking Tuesday. You know what I mean? Like, it was just uh, like, oh, Tuesday. yeah, hey, what's up? Yeah, yeah, I'm going to go do this thing. Yeah, go fuck yourself. I just think that it was, it's really impressive what we're kind of uh, seeing here and what's being explored. And I, I'm, I, I'm very upset that you called it a middling episode or middling issue because I felt like we really got a lot of 
kind of uh, be, feelings in this. We got to hear a lot about this relationship from both these people. So I was impressed with the meat that we got in this, but I'm also very excited to see what's going to happen. If yeah, you walk I, past an axe and they were in command of an army of rats, you might walk past. Well, you might keep it walking. You're right. You're right. You know, but at the same time, it's like, uh, you know, kind of a big deal. Army of rats. Oh, OK. Yeah. I guess that makes sense. You were well, getting that way. I guess you're done up. with our relationship then. Last but not least, X-Men number 31 from Marvel, written by Jerry Dugan, art by Phil Nodo. We are picking up on the death of Talon, a.k.a. X-23. Talon? She's Talon. Kraken is Fang. I don't like these names. Anyway, she died, and Sink is trying to hold on to her. In the the meantime, Nimrod is attacking the rest of the X-Men. Spider-Man and Miss Marvel are helping out with everybody as they're fighting back. They don't quite, spoiler, take down Nimrod in this issue. That's still presumably to come. But, man, what a heartbreaking issue of this title. Uh, Justin, I loved I it. you liked it. Take it away. I was saying, like, the fall of X books uh, across the board, everything's getting wild, woolly, and weird. And I love I love that we're in a twilight moment where uh, books can be uh, just tell the stories they want to tell. And this is a heartbreaking tale. At the same time, between Sink and Talon, two X-Men who have lived, have had the longest enduring relationship because of the pocket universe they lived in for generations for i guess decades and it it, it is a heartbreaking issue i hope their relationship is able to find a new place in wherever we get with the continuity also man wolverine gets tooled in this issue pete yeah response wolverine gets tooled in this issue yeah i don't uh, uh, i I'm not having a good time. I continue to not have a good time with this. Uh, Nimrod uh, fucking sucks. I don't know what to tell you, man. Uh, Spider-Man's very funny in this issue. Yeah, okay. he's having fun. He is. What All was right. the joke about the dumpster? He gets thrown into the dumpster. He's like, oh, I'm home. Oh, my I'm home, yeah. <laughs> Thanks for like, oh, you got to take me home or something like that. It's very yeah. fun. Good jokes. I will say, to, to, on Pete's side, Nimrod does look like someone's just holding a toy in the air, and the X Men are fighting him. Yeah, and I'm like, like, it is Nimrod weird to me. Could that, at least move more. It is weird to me, and they've been consistent about this the entire time since he come back. But that Nimrod is a funny guy. That to me is like, yeah, that doesn't jibe with. I very distinctly remember the issue. I don't remember which issue it was, but the issue of the Chris Claremont, Mark Silvestri one, where Nimrod attacked the Hellfire Club and disintegrated one of them. Uh, Harry, I think it was, like the weird adjunct member of the Hellfire Club. And I was like, oh, my God, this is terrifying what's going on right now. I can't believe that they just killed this guy. You were like, not Harry. Not Harry. Love that guy. Well, Well, the Nimrod was always like a... Nimrod was like a Cylon or some like a robot that comes in the night and is just a cold sort of like stilted killer. But I don't think that really tracks anymore. No. Now he's like, I'm making jokes. Here I come. I got a type five. I'm Nimrod. Everyone's a comedian. He is a comedian. I can't wait to see him on stage. And if you'd like to support us or Nimrod, patreon.com slash comic book club. Don't put Nimrod in there. I'm not giving Uh, any of our... I don't know, man. Anything to Nimrod. 50% of our money goes to Nimrod so he doesn't disintegrate us. 
Apple, Spotify, it, Android, or the app of your choice to subscribe, listen, and follow the show at Comic Book Live on Twitter slash X Comic Book Club Live on TikTok and Instagram, comicbookclublive.com for this podcast and many more. Until next time, we'll see you at the Comic Book Club. And of course, shout out to our number one sponsor, MostlyMouseBones.com. If you're a cat who has the mouse bones available, we will take any yeah, mouse bones. Yes. We'll turn them into any sort of necklace, tiara, anklet. And also, uh, we, you know, if you don't want money, cats will pay you in fish. You know, like whatever you want. <laughs> Great response. We'll pay you in fish. Yeah. You eat and the mice. We'll pay you in fish. If you're uh, our other sponsor, Yucky Human Bones, we will also pay you in fish. The idea, P has a real Heathcliff understanding of what cats eat. They only eat whole fish. When have you ever seen a cat with a fish? I'm just saying. Not a thing. Not a thing. Oh, it's a thing. Yeah.